0: The Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast features people from the real estate community sharing real stories about their struggles, pains, and even losses during their own real estate journey. We share these real experiences so you can learn from them and build a successful journey of your own. Now, here's your host, Cody Lewis, one of the managing partners at Vindu Capital, located in Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I am so excited to have you all back but I'm even more excited for our guest today. is the founder of Left Field Investments, Jim Piper. Jim, thanks for joining us today. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. We're super excited to have you. We just had an extensive conversation. We solved all the world's college football problems. We have a plan laid out for everyone for, that Absolutely. even cares about that kind of stuff. But trust me, me and Jim have it figured out. We're calling Mark at the NCAA. We have a great idea. Outside of that, Jim, we brought you on today to talk a little bit about real estate. But before we jump into that, I wanted to uh, have people kind of hear your origin story. You know where you're from, how you got into real estate, and what you are really focused on these days.
1: Okay, yeah, sure. I'm I'm kind of from everywhere. I, I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska, but I ended up uh, coming to Columbus, Ohio, where I where I live now. I've I've had several careers. I was in uh, reinsurance for for a while. Then I was a uh, finance teacher in Columbus City Schools for a while, and then I was a financial advisor. And as a financial advisor, at the same time, I became an accidental landlord. We built a house in 2008, and we weren't able to sell our old one, so we rented it out. And I absolutely hated it, but it got me into real estate. And when I was getting ready to sell that property about five years later, uh, when the market had changed, my uh, realtor convinced me instead to buy more rentals, and he would manage them. And having somebody else manage them, I got the bug. And so I became an active real estate investor and and went into doing more single families and then some multifamilies. And then I realized I don't like managing the property manager. My original property manager was great, but as I branched out, I couldn't find quality property managers. I was uh, managing these properties as an asset manager, not very well. And then I found passive investing. At the same time as a financial advisor, I was learning about money. Now, I had been an investor for 25, 30 years. I thought I knew everything about the stock market, and and that's the way to make money. As I learned more, I realized that what I really want are assets that produce cash flow. And I finally found where I wanted to go. So now I'm a full-time passive investor. I'm investing in syndications that produce cash flow and on the back end, appreciation. That's great. That's kind of the bonus, but I'm I'm a cash flow investor.
0: Man, I absolutely love it. And well, you know, it's super interesting. We've had a lot of people on, but I don't know if we've ever had a financial advisor that has made the switch from truly loving and believing in the stock market, which listen, I diversify all you want, but now sounds like you're super gung-ho on real estate and have kind of seen the light is that there are other avenues that can generate wealth building income for you down the road.
1: Absolutely. I see the stock market as a speculation, right? Because you're buying a piece of paper and you're holding it, and you're hoping at some point, you can find somebody else to buy that for more. And there's very little. I mean, you might get some dividends, but not not always and not very much. So there's no cash coming from that. Where in real estate, I can buy an asset. It produces cash flow. Not only that, I can have an effect on it because I can force equity by making improvements. And it doesn't really matter what's happening in the market. I can make my property more valuable by working on it. To me, that's an investment because it's producing cash and I can have an effect on it where paper assets, it's really speculation. Now there is a small part where it makes sense to have some paper assets because you have liquidity that you don't have in real estate. And so it might make sense to have some in there, but for me, I'm pretty much mostly real estate and real assets.
0: I love that. Well, and the other thing I think, and I was talking to Flint Jameson about this the other day. Uh, we were chatting some and you know, we were talking about the difference between something like the stock market and investing in real estate. I can't call up the this Fortune 100 CEO and ask them what their business strategy is, but I can call up these syndicators, these other folks in real estate, and I can ask, hey, sh- show me the business plan for this property. Show me the underwriting. What, what are you doing to force appreciation of this property? And good operators are going to, one, have a very compelling business plan for that, but two, be able to explain and show you everything on that. And that's the big difference to me and what you're talking about with the stock market. I'm really throwing some money at things that I hope and and assume are going to do well, but I can't really fully understand what their model is other than a high level. I can't just call them and ask them what it is. You know what I mean? So I absolutely love that. But Jim, I'm sure with, with all the things that you've gone through and where you're at these days, I'm sure you've had at least... One unsuccessful story along your journey. So, wanted to see what comes to mind today, and what you can help our audience and kind of educate them on with some of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's almost like which one? You know, I've, I've, um, (laughs) you learn a lot more from from mistakes. And I think, you know, because I'm talking about passive investing and real estate syndications, that's kind of where I'll talk about the uh, the mistakes I made. And there's there's two two major mistakes that I made. One has to do with choosing a sponsor. And you really, well, they're both actually choosing the sponsor. But the first one is when I first got into passive investing, I went to a seminar thinking I was going to be a syndicator. And I left this uh, knowing that I wanted to be a passive investor. So I learned something there, but I also met some syndicators and I had a, a self-directed IRA that had some cash from a, from a rollover. And i I Thought of it as okay, this is kind of my experiment money, right? I can I can try and experiment. I don't think I'll lose anything, but I'm okay if I, I do because I don't need this money right away. But what what happened was I just met sponsors and just said, hey, here's my money. You know, let us invest, let's invest. And I wasn't qualifying them and understanding them. And so what happened was I invested with a sponsor who had horrible communication, right? So I never, I can't find. I'm still in the investment. I can't find out what's going on. I know it's not performing as it was supposed to. So the failure there was I did not vet the sponsor properly in that I did not check their communications. I didn't also, there was other things I I failed on, but now, you know, it's really important to me when I vet a sponsor to make sure that they are going to respond to me when I call them or when I email them or when I text them, because what happens if they don't, for me, it leads to frustration because I don't know what's going on for my investment. So I don't care if the investment's doing well or doing poorly. Why? I mean, obviously I care. But if you're not communicating with me, I'm going to be upset whether you're doing well or not in the investment. And in this particular investment, it was going terrible. And they keep promising, you know, when the few times I'd get them to respond to me, they'd promise, oh, we've hired somebody new who's going to be the investor relations person. And it was just a disaster. So it doesn't matter what happened to that investment. It's painful to me all the time. And so I've learned now that when I'm vetting a sponsor, I have little tests, right? I'm going to send you an email and expect a response. And I want a quality response in a timely fashion, right? And if you don't do that, there's plenty of sponsors out there. If you don't do that, I know we're not going to have a good relationship. So I'm out. I'm moving on to somebody else. That's that's kind of lesson one for me.
0: Well, and and I love that. And and going back to your story, I feel like in those instances, if a property or if an asset is performing poorly, I feel like that's when you need to over communicate. You know, if things are going well, you know, you're giving status checks and all that. And you got to do your normal stuff. But it, it's kind of easy to do that kind of stuff. When it's when things are not going well, my personal opinion, you should over-communicate and make sure, hey, this is what we're doing to try and right the ship. Here are all the action plans that we have in place or the steps we are currently taking. You know, here's a video of us doing a walkthrough and showing you some of the progress we're making. Something or just more yep. communication rather than less. To your point, communication is key. And I think everyone has their different level of communication they like or appreciate. As an investor relation person, you have to feel out your your investor, your the person you're working with to see what's the right thing for them and you and have that balance. But no communication or bad communication is awful. I mean, that's that'll sour a deal no matter how it's performing to your point.
1: If you have no communication, I don't know what's happening and the deal goes great, I'm probably not investing with you. If you have excellent communication and the deal isn't going well and you explain it to me and you tell me why and you make steps to fix it, I might invest with you again. And that's mm-hmm. that's the difference, you know. And the communication doesn't have to be you calling me or you sending me an email. It could be you just sending me distributions with a paragraph saying, "Hey, things are going fine." You know, it just has to be that you're you're willing to understand that you need to communicate about the investment.
0: Well, so that was that was understanding or, or learn number one for you. you mentioned there was a, there were two that you took away from uh, kind of vetting a sponsor.
1: The other thing that happened to me is I was talking to these guys who were doing turnkey in Dallas and they were doing single family turnkey and they were, they were doing great at it, but the Dallas market had shifted. It was no longer economical. So they needed something to do. So they decided they are going to go into office buildings and CBD equipment, right? CBD was big back then. You know, I thought, well, obviously they're good operators. They did great at at, uh, turnkey. So whatever they do will be fine. So I invested with them and, and it turned out to be a disaster, right? They didn't know what they were doing in, um, either one of those, they were just trying to find something new to do. And I don't want to be anybody's Guinea pig. I'm not going to invest in somebody who's, who's doing something brand new they need to do. And and people do that, you know, sponsors do that, but usually they take like friends and family and, and, or, or a smaller group. They don't uh, do it for everybody. So that's important to me. If you're doing something new, I'm out. Now there are caveats to that. There's an, uh, another sponsor who decided they were multifamily and they decided they were going to do self-storage. Well, they went and hired someone who's had 20 years in the industry. Then, okay, I might not invest in your very first deal. I might just watch it, but you've hired somebody and you're doing the right thing. So maybe I will you know, invest at some point in the future. But you know, for me, I need you to communicate and I don't want to be an experiment, right? I want to deal mm. with Experienced. That, that's the whole purpose of this, right? The reason why I'm not being, I'm not an asset manager anymore. I don't have active real estate anymore, is because I didn't know what I was doing and I wasn't good at it. So I want to hire quality asset managers that understand the asset they're managing. And so that's kind of a thing with me. I'm not going to invest with somebody who's who's doing an asset for the first time.
0: Yeah, and I love that. And and I'll I'll say from like the asset the asset management side, you know, when we look at stuff, we know. And, and tell me if this is off base or, or different than how you would perceive it as from the investor side. I'm of the mindset just from my B2B background, we're not the right choice for everyone or our each deal is not the right choice for every investor. And I can't have the mindset that all of our investors in our database, that they're going to invest in every deal. One, that's not realistic. And two, it's not the right fit for what they're looking to do. And if we were to jump asset classes, trust me, we would definitely bring in somebody that's that's got a proven track record. We would never dare do something like that without somebody in our, in our back pocket to help and guide us with that kind of experience. But if we did, I would want to over-communicate that stuff and help people understand that, Hey, we are jumping into something new, but here's our strategy and why we have this person on board with us. But again, I still wouldn't think that everyone's going to jump on board right away with that kind of stuff. Does that kind of your thought process too?
1: Yeah. I, I love that. You know, that's what you need from a sponsor because so often you talk to a sponsor for the first time, and you feel pressure like oh i got to invest in this deal because i just i just spent an hour with them that's ridiculous you know and i tell sponsors now look if you haven't been referred to me by somebody i already know like and trust that that then i'm probably not investing with you until we get to know each other and that could take mm-hmm. more than a year and it's going to have to take some effort on both of our parts and for the most part sponsors have said i completely understand you know they they're like you they say hey I don't expect everybody to get in every deal and, and different deals are good for different people. And it's the people that pressure you or, or expect you to invest with them just because you had a conversation. Those are the people I'm like, I'm out. You know, There's plenty mm-hmm. of sponsors out there. So you have to find ones that match up with you that understand that maybe you're not going to get into every deal or that it's going to take a year or two before I get comfortable with you. The key to all of this as a passive investor is finding quality sponsors. That's what everyone wants to do. And for me, the key to that is having a community or a network that can refer you to people that have already in, you've already invested with, right? So if I know and know, like, and trust you, and you've already invested with a certain sponsor, then that's a huge hurdle. Now I just have to do some due diligence and make sure they fit. But now I know that they're a quality sponsor because of my network. And so that's kind of um, that's kind of how I've evolved from finding sponsors. I used to just listen to podcasts and then call people up. And you know, you don't know if they're just an effective marketer or the effective asset manager. So I, right. I think that's why community is so important. So let me ask this is,
0: to round this out, if you don't mind. Those that are listening, they they see that they don't want to be an asset manager. Maybe they've dipped their toe in the water or it's just too much of a heavy lift. Their, their W-2 is too demanding, whatever it may be. Right? They, they want to be passive. They like real estate as an investment vehicle. They, they're hearing what you're saying about communication and they're going to check that box with that, that sponsor that they're vetting. What are some other things because maybe they're new and don't have a, a Rolodex for those millennials and Gen Z that are listening. It's an old way to have your contacts on your table in, <laughs> on paper form. You know, if they don't have that community built, to ask and to vets those type of things. What's at least one thing that they can look for outside of communication or ask of a sponsor to help really understand, are they good asset managers?
1: Well, number one, I think would be their track record and their experience, right? If you can find someone who's been around before 2008, then that just gives them a little bit more, you know, credibility, I guess. But again, I don't want to exclude somebody who is new because they might be great too. But you have to look at their track record and experience, number one. But number two, I would say to that person is go find a community. And this is where I, I you know, I, I hound it all the time. It does, you know, I have a community, we'll talk about left field investors, but it doesn't matter if it's left field investors or any community. The amount that I have improved as an investor is solely due to my network and community. So if you don't have one, you need to go find one because that's where you're going to find like-minded people and i can't believe how much people are willing to share and help in this in in this industry right real estate investing people are less competitive than they are helping and so you need you need to find people that have already done it and follow them right because that's how you kind of accelerate your progress because it's really hard you're going to get into a relationship with someone a syndicator and you're going to be in this relationship for 3 5 maybe 10 years you can't exit the relationship right there's no way to get your shares back or your money back so you're just in it. You really have to make sure you're with a quality person, but you're only going to talk to them once or twice, maybe for 30 minutes or an hour. So yeah. how do you make your decision then? You need other things. And the other thing is other people that have had experience with them.
0: Absolutely. Well, and, and I'll, I'll throw out there too. Listen, if you live close to some of these sponsors uh, and asset managers, all protocols, uh, You know, if you're listening at this point in time in history, like, make sure you're safe with all the right protocols and stuff like that. But listen, like, go out and meet these people connect with them. Yeah, you know, I love playing golf. I'm terrible at it, but I love playing. And I like when, when investors want to play, we get to know each other a lot. We get to spend kind of an, uh, just a, an abundant amount of time together, but you get to kind of see and feel out how they're doing. Listen, I, I'm going to play poorly. So you're going to see how I handle stress and <laughs> stressful situations uh, right. on the golf course that you may not be able to see me handle and other stuff. So I, I think being able to meet and greet and go to these different events or go go take them to eat or play golf or anything like that, or have them take you is crucial in those types of situations. Absolutely.
1: That, that, that's a great point. You're going to invest 50,000 or a hundred thousand dollars with a person. You can, you can go drive six hours to, to shake their hand or jump on a plane and spend 500 bucks to, to see them. I mean, this is a huge investment. So yeah, I, I recommend that as well. It's been hard over the last couple of years to meet sponsors, but going to events is a great way to meet sponsors you know to to meet new ones, but more than that to meet the ones you've already been dealing with and put a you know shake their hand and look them in the eyes and and get to know them a little bit it it really makes a difference
0: absolutely hundred uh, percent Jim, I think that's a good enough spot as ever to wrap up. yeah I think you've given myself definitely and, and hopefully our audience a ton of information a lot of things to think about if we're looking at finding somebody to invest our money with. so I can't thank you enough for joining us today. For those that want to work with you, learn from you, and even, even invest with you, where's the best place for people to find you out there?
1: Um, at leftfieldinvestors.com is, is our website. And you can uh send me an email at Jim at Leftfield Investors. And just just to uh, to let you know, we don't have investments, we're just a community for education and networking. And it's a it's a great place to join and meet like-minded people who can um help you. You know, start your journey. We have people that are just getting into their first deal in our community, and we have people who are getting into their hundredth deal. So there's a vast uh, range of expertise, and it's a very welcoming group. And we'd we'd love to have uh, additional members if they're uh, interested in learning and growing together.
0: Perfect. I can't think of a better place for for those out there if they're if they're looking to learn and, and build that community if they don't already have it. Please go check out Jim's community. We love it, Jim. Thank you again so much for joining us. I really appreciate it, sir.
1: Awesome. Thank you very much. Absolutely.
0: And hey, everyone, thanks for listening and watching. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast with Cody Lewis. Be sure to subscribe today on your favorite podcasting platform so you can catch every episode of the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast.